0: Hello, and welcome to Fighting Over the VCR, a podcast where a brother and sister who watched movies growing up together in the 80s talk about those movies, sometimes movies they didn't necessarily watch together. I'm Nancy.
1: And I'm Matthew.
0: And tonight, we're going to talk about two movies, Lost Highway and Desperately Seeking Susan. I'm going to throw it to Matt so he can start this fun, fun discussion.
1: Well, just before we begin, um, I'd like to set the scene here. Um, I'm going to be talking about Lost Highway by David Lynch, who also did Twin Peaks, which I love. So I've got my Bang Bang Bar Twin Peaks shirt and my Laura Palmer wrapped in plastic Funko Pop here to kind of set the scene. And um, Nancy is um, sporting some lace gloves, some uh, Bangley bracelets, And her hair's kind of off to a side with a big bow in it, a la Madonna for (laughs) Desperately Seeking Susan. We're really
0: channeling our characters tonight.
1: It's it's definitely... We're trying to lighten up the vibe because it's about to get dark. It's going to get really dark. (laughs) It's going to get dark. Multiple times during this podcast, if you feel some sort of odd tension, that is the feeling of Nancy rolling her eyes... (laughs) <laughs> As she hears me talk about Lost Highway, it's kind of a creepy feeling, which would definitely set the mood for what I'm about to talk about.
0: You may also hear appearances from our beloved podcast Moulder. He stepped away from the microphone for a moment, but I'm sure he'll be back any minute. You know, do something. Like oh, hey, exactly. Like that. <laughs> okay, Matt, start us off with this fun movie, Lost Highway. Your sarcasm is
1: deafening (laughs) (laughs) okay so lost highway i picked this i love this movie let's get going so i had to kind of prepare what i was going to say about this movie because there's a lot of criticism about this movie not just from the room (laughs) (laughs) but siskel and ebert gave it two thumbs down in which David Lynch, the director, said that's even more reason to go see it, to like see what you might be missing. But anyway, so early in the 90s, um, Nancy and I both had cable TV and VCRs in our room, and whatever was available to watch, we pretty much could watch. Around 1993-94, I discovered a new cable channel dubbed the Film and Arts Network, which showed you know art films and indies and shorts and art documentaries and behind the scenes on movies and stuff like that. That's where I got to see Drugstore Cowboy, City of Lost Children, uh, Kafka, even Cowgirls Get the Blues, and the show Inside the Actor Studio. What was great about this channel was um, it was a cable channel, but you didn't have commercials. The only commercials you had were in between shows. And sometimes in between those shows, they did shorts like our Crumb animations and Uh, bill plimpton animations and stuff like that the shows were unedited so language whatever was going on screen it was unedited and this channel was called bravo and that was before
0: the housewives took over
1: yeah it was amazing before nbc universal bought it raped it and turned it into reality tv station which i love if you like that that's fine it's not for me but that's fine. Also on this channel, I was introduced to Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks originally aired on ABC in the late 80s, early 90s, and then got picked up by Bravo to show. And the hard thing was was they never had a schedule. Like, I only caught episodes here and there, so I never really saw it linearly it was just or in order and it wasn't something i could like binge watch like you can now it was like didn't exist back then catch it when you can and um this show was amazing to me it was creative and it had like this really interesting tone and mystique and and it was a soap opera i mean it, it was a murder mystery soap opera so um that was kind of my introduction to david lynch now Just so people know, um, I recently finished reading David Lynch's autobiography. And by reading, I mean listening to the audiobook. Because, as I've probably mentioned before, I don't read.
0: Um, Audiobooks count as reading. They They
1: do. Okay. Um, It's true. But I just want people to understand that, you know, our listeners to understand that I did research for this podcast i'm not going into this you know just watching the movie and (laughs) i thought about this because this is a tough movie for people for everybody (laughs) so in 97 1997 in case you're listening to this from a time capsule in the future david lynch came out with a with a movie and it was his first new movie since he had done everything with twin peaks so immediately I'm interested in going to see it. And you can't go see this at like my local theater that I could walk to. Um, I had to go to Berkeley to go see it. I had to go to a theater that normally shows like Rocky Horror Picture Show and more fringe kind of movies. And
0: on university?
1: I, went, I think it was the, the UC Theater mm-hmm. on university, which is now um, a concert venue, mm. which, they, which I have not gotten to go back to, which would be awesome. Um, and basically this movie blew me away and I'll admit I did not know what was going on in this movie when I first saw it. Um, I knew that I liked it. I knew I was intrigued by it. I knew that I was very interested in how it was made. And granted, since I saw this movie, I've taken like a film study class and I've done some other research on it. You know, I'm I'm about, I'm seventeen, and I've been watching all these art movies, so I'm like really like into watching all these different kind of movies that I've never seen before. And um, I went to the theater and saw this, so I was engaged by it. And then, you know, later on, the same theater did a double feature of this movie with Lynch's first movie, Eraserhead, which took him six years to make because he had no money. And he wasn't even really supposed to make movies because the only reason why he even got into making movies is because he was a painter and wanted to make moving paintings.
0: Mm.
1: So he's definitely more of an artist anyway.
0: Did this movie come out before or after Blue Velvet?
1: This movie came out um, almost about 10 years after Blue Velvet. Um, Because that's his film also, right? That is his film. He has only done nine movies. And some of his other movies, probably the most popular movie among science fiction fans is dune which was a total bomb and um among other than Racer head the most critically acclaimed movie he's probably done um is the elephant man which got nominated for best picture and best director and it was only his second movie he really wasn't you know no one thought that he would be he even he didn't think he'd be making movies he just had the opportunity to work with uh, mel brooks and got to make that movie so lost highway is dark and scary and probably the base the the most noir film that david lynch has ever made it has murder and mystery and a femme fatale and dramatic lighting and it's disturbing and unnerving as you're watching it Uh, one of the things that is very david lynch is how he uses like sound for example and he'll like intentionally make things louder than they need to be to make the people watching the movie like uneasy in their chair.
0: Doesn't he also do a thing where it almost sounds like you're underwater?
1: When I say he's an artist, I really mean like he paints, he sculpts, he makes music, he does TV and movies and commercials. I mean, he does it all. And he was one of the first artists to really embrace the internet before Mm. I mean, he was doing things, putting videos online before there was YouTube, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, so he's very kind of, he's got a huge range and really just kind of does what he wants. And, you know, this movie is definitely David Lynch to the bone. There's a, to give you an example, there's a scene where you see there's a shack that is um, used in the end of the movie for about the last 30 minutes of the movie. The first time they drive to, down the lost highway um, to this shack. Um, it's exploded, but the entire filming of it is in reverse. So you see this giant ball of fire, mm. and it's all in reverse, and then it kind of slowly becomes the shack, right? So he w- didn't even intend to blow up that shack.
0: Oh, it was an accident?
1: No. he
0: Like the whole movie should be considered <laughs> an accident?
1: <laughs> he, he had the shack. And he asked assistant director, like, well, so what are we going to do with the shack? And they're like, well, they're going to take it apart. And he's like, well, that would—that's stupid. Do we have any gasoline? Can I blow it up?
0: Oh, I and, see.
1: And they were like, well, I guess. And he talked to his special effects guys, and he, you know, special effects guys like, I wish you would have told me you were going to blow it up. I would have brought more stuff. And then he went around and got a bunch of stuff, and he blew it up, and he filmed it, and. And said it was the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. Hmm. So he had to put it in his movie. and, and I can give I, him credit for that. And,
0: um, and, I, can, I respect that for the artistic quality of doing something like and, that. And that's how a lot
1: of his movies are. Like, if he gets an idea of what he wants, if, of like, oh, I'd love to see this. How can I put this in my movie? He just kind of does it. And it doesn't necessarily have a purpose sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just because... It's a beautiful thing that he thinks needs to be out there. It's a way of expressing himself. So he is more again. He's he's an artist making movies in a lot of ways, which is not me trying to justify this. You know, this movie to make people think like, oh, well, maybe it wasn't you know a complete waste of my time. But it was mine. Anyway,
0: <laughs> just so you guys all know, I had never seen this movie until. I was assigned to see this movie recently <laughs> and I kept texting Matt every 15 20 minutes into the movie. I had to watch it over like four pieces cuz I just was getting bored, I just couldn't get into it or I was falling asleep or whatever. So I would text Matt in these like 15 to 20 minute intervals and ask him, you know, what the hell is going on. I I'm glad you mentioned that. So, I've
1: seen this movie many times and so and i can catch it at any point but you know now that i've i've i read his autobiography and he talks about making this movie Mm -hmm. the whole concept the whole idea for this movie started with you know the idea of what would happen if you just started receiving videotapes like on your porch and he kind of grew that into a story i guess the most easiest way to sum up this movie if anyone was going to sum up this movie, is it's a film noir about a jazz singer played by...
0: Saxophonist, Matt, not singer.
1: Or jazz saxophonist, I'm sorry. um, Played by Bill Pullman, who suspects his wife, played by Patricia Arquette, is cheating on him. And then he may or may not have murdered her, gets arrested, goes to prison, escapes from prison, finds the person that she was cheating on him with, and then kills him. And this guy just happens to be like a mobster pornographer guy. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that is the most basic way I can sum up this movie, um, which is a very kind of film noir kind of standard. You know, its it's got to have like a femme fatale. It's got to have a a, a a dramatic lighting and all this other kind of stuff.
0: That doesn't explain how Bill Pullman somehow transforms into Baltazar Getty.
1: Okay. He that's how he escapes from prison. Um okay, how? Okay. So, another very Cuz he had a headache and so, he saw so, the doctor
0: and the doctor sent him back
1: to his cell. So, you know how um you know how some painters always use similar themes like Salvador Dali used clocks and animals and yeah. stuff like that. One of the things that David Lynch uses a lot of the time is doppelgangers. Um, he uses it in Twin Peaks he's mm. used it in this and um i think that Pete played by Baltasar getty is just a doppelganger that is the Lynch's way of kind of creatively and surrealistically getting him out of prison
0: <laughs> let me just throw out i'll just say this i had no problem with the entire part involving Balthazar Getty. It was nice to see him again. I actually, had forgotten how much I liked him as an actor. hadn't seen him in a long time. Since um, Young Guns too. Young Guns too. Yeah, I mean, and I remember, <laughs> you know, he's in Lord of the Flies. I just haven't seen him in much. So the so the parts of the movie that he's in, I I enjoyed more. So, but oh my god, Matt, this movie.
1: <laughs> well, it's not it's not for everybody. <sighs> And you know, I knew like the whole time, like when we th- remember everyone, we made these lists before we had the idea of doing a podcast.
0: Not entirely true. Well halfway yeah. through. No, halfway well, through. In a fact, you of probably it. hadn't listed your week six movie. No, until I, definitely did. I we... definitely did. You already had published that and I th- then it was like a oops, guess what? I'm gonna make Nancy watch this movie. Well, You know, I think I'm
1: glad that you watched this movie, even if you hated it, because Mm. I think you could watch it again and maybe you could look at it in a whole new light. There's some really great aspects of this movie that I think um, people would enjoy.
0: For example... It teaches you to manage your road rage better, otherwise... Oh, that
1: is one of the best scenes. (laughs) That is one of the best scenes ever filmed, I swear to God. There's a scene where... um, the mobster pornographer guy, his name is Mister Mister Eddie, is played by Robert Loggia, who um, is probably one of the best angry actors <laughs> that I've seen on screen. He kind of and, is like
0: reminds me of like a Harvey Keitel from any of the Quentin Tarantino movies. He kind of kinda, has a but older,
1: yeah. Well, he so he has the scene where. Um, he and pete are going for a ride because pete is a mechanic and he wants pete to hear hi molder he wants pete to hear a noise um that's coming from uh his car and pete you know he hears it he makes like a tiny little adjustment with a wrench and makes the noise go away and mr eddie loves this car and he loves pete for fixing his car well They're driving down Mulholland Drive, and this guy starts tailgating him. So Mr. Eddie rolls down his window, waves him to pass him. Then as the guy passes him, he flips him the bird. And then all of a sudden they cut to Mr. Eddie's bodyguards who are sitting in the the back seat. And all they do is put their seatbelt on, and then all of a sudden you know mr eddie has one of these great lines where he says like this is where 1400 horsepower can Mm -hmm. really you know really pays off and then he manages to use his car to ram into the guy who was tailgating him run him off the road he has one of his bodyguards break the window pull the guy out of the window and they beat the crap out of him and the whole time Mr. Eddie is lecturing him about tailgating and, and then forces him to say, now you're going to go to the DMV and you're going to go get a manual. <laughs> and you're going to learn how many car lengths you need to be behind if, if you're driving 35 miles per hour. It was funny. That was a great scene. And then one of the other things that was really surprising when I saw this movie is that Richard Pryor is in it. Mm-hmm. And this was actually Richard Pryor's last movie. And oh, yeah, it was the last time he was in a movie, and he plays Pete's boss, Arnie, um, at the shop where he where he works. He has one of my favorite lines in this movie, where he's talking on the phone with um, a customer, and he says, "Now, I've got nine guys down here, and I'll let you talk to seven of them. And if you get that price from one of them, I'll let you talk to another two." <laughs> <laughs> other great line which is which is pretty crass now this movie is full of nudity and sexuality and all this kind of stuff which definitely um got uh, Lynch a lot of criticism i mean some people criticized him for being misogynist for making this movie and um a lot of it is because the fact that there's this porn this pornography angle to it but um at one point pete hooks up with a character Alice also played by Patricia Arquette, which adds to probably Nancy's eye rolling and confusion. He hooks up with her and they keep going to hotels to, um, to have sex. And because of the whole, how the hell did Pete get out, you know, help Bill Pullman's character, get out of prison. He's being followed by the police. So they're tailing him and watching his mm. every move. And the cops are sitting in the car as the, he walks into a hotel and he goes, Damn. This ki- this kid gets more pussy than a toilet seat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of very naked Patricia Arquette
0: in this movie.
1: I think that because I've, you know, grown to be able to experience a lot of David Lynch movies and a lot of different art art film that all kind of started out with Bravo before it changed yeah um you know it really kind of influenced a lot of different aspects of my life in the sense that you know i had a great a great appreciation for all different kinds of movies coming out and you know yes david lynch makes things that are difficult to watch for people, mm. I will admit there's a there, there's a film of his. There's two films of his that I haven't seen. One is called Inland Empire because it's really difficult to get. It stars uh, Laura Dern, mm-hmm. and it basically was inspired by the short films that he was making for the internet. From what I'm told, it makes absolutely no sense. It's basically just oh, Laura really? Dern mean, in a like, bunch of shorts. Time, right? playing different characters that have no continuity. But yet critics call it like the greatest movie he's ever made. Hmm. It's weird. The other movie I haven't seen is Wild at Heart, also starring Laura Dern. But also but starring Nicolas but Cage. But also starring Nicolas Cage, who, that, yeah. that's a challenge.
0: Yeah. You know, one thing I was frustrated by watching this movie, I mean, lots of things that were frustrating. I thought, I thought the whole porn element, It just seemed like a cheap kind of um, gimmick. And I mean, you know, towards the end where Alice's character is trying to get Pete to. She lures him to this house because they need to run away because Mr. Eddie's going to find them and they need to rob this guy and get all his money before they go. You know, he walks in. And sees this movie screen with the porn that she's she's starring in projected on the wall. And she does this on purpose just to get him pissed off. So that he ends up getting in a fight with the guy who owns the house. Who conveniently trips and falls and slams into the corner of a glass table. So his head is like lodged into the corner of this glass table.
1: I have been afraid of pointy glass tables ever since I saw that scene.
0: Well, I mean, you should be, I mean, it's, but the, the fact like just this, I felt like there was an over usage of the porn. It just, ugh. but, and also there was one shot in particular. It made me so mad. This, and I think I texted you an image of this. I was so pissed off. David Lynch steals one of the most interesting shots that Stanley Kubrick ever did in a Clockwork Orange where Alice is calling Pete and it's this shot of just her eyes. And like, you know, she's got some thick mascara on and the lights catching her eyes just the way it did in a clockwork orange. Like that look on his face is very, very similar. And I was so angry. I'm like, are you serious? After everything I'm enduring in this movie and now you're ripping off Stanley Kubrick. Well, well, okay. Pissed me off. Okay. Well,
1: I, two things. One that could have been very intentional for two reasons. Number one, that's a very kind of classic kind of film noir kind of kind of style thing. Like, have like a slit of light mm-hmm. on like like uh, an eye or a mouth talking into a phone or mm. something like that. That's very common. And number two, um, David Lynch's favorite movie is Stanley Kubrick's Lolita. So it so could have been an homage to him. Mm-hmm. So... And as far, you know, again, I tried to do research on this because I, I tried to show that some of my insanity on this podcast is somewhat credible. I went and looked for quotes from Patricia Arquette to see, you know, how she felt about doing the nudity. Mm-hmm. And she recently did an interview with W Magazine mm-hmm. where she told a story about how, um, you know, she was deathly afraid of nudity and film having to do it and this movie she really kind of had to get over that because she's naked in a lot of it and um so she she has a scene which she had to have filmed early on because after this she wouldn't have behaved this way she tells balthazar getty she's they're in the desert about to show to film a sex scene and she has a robe on and nothing else and she tells balthazar when i take the robe off just put your hands on my boobs Because I'd rather your hands be on my boobs than everyone see them,
0: Mm. (laughs) which
1: clearly that didn't work. Somehow, you know, um, Lynch has a way of uh, really kind of connecting with his actor's. And they've talked about that. You know, one of the, that's one of the reasons why they like working with him. So mm-hmm. I'm sure at some point he must have had a conversation with her about it. And then I found another interview from 2002. She says that, that Lost Highway is a complex story of sexual obsession, which looks at women through the eyes of a man who hates women. I've been with men like that. And, it, and then she says it put her through the gates of hell with her phobia about nudity. And then she says, I may not be able to take a bath naked alone, but I am going to take my clothes off in this movie.
0: Mm. Well, I mean, if she doesn't feel permanently damaged from having to be in this movie, I mean, especially the scene where she's down to practically nothing. Was she just wearing a thong when she has the gun to her head? um she
1: yeah i mean she when she first meets mr eddie to you know he she hears about a job and it turns out hey come to come and meet this guy so he can put you in these pornos and you know a guy one of his henchmen comes over and puts a gun to her head and makes her makes her take all her clothes off and then Mm -hmm. do god knows what mr mr eddie um which, you know, helps kind of justify the, like, evilness of him and, you know, his death eventually in the movie. But I don't uh, even
0: remember how he dies at this point. How did he die?
1: He, um, Bill Pullman uh, cuts his throat. So it's that's throat. right. And then uh, the mystery man sh- just sh- keeps that's shooting right. him in the head. That's
0: right. That's right. And he didn't die right away. It took him a while to die after getting his throat slit. Yeah. It was, that's a great scene. But and I was so checked out uh,
1: way before that. <laughs> and, and, and I guess the last thing to talk about this movie is the mystery man played by. Oh, my God. Played by Robert Bra- Blake, who I mean, I think I had nightmares about this guy after the first time I saw this movie. because He is creepy as hell. You know, it's taken Ugh. me a few times to kind of watch this movie, but I've pretty much after seeing other things that Lynch has done. I think Robert Blake's character is kind of the personification of evil. Okay, I believe that. And he only he only comes up in to, you know, at times when something really bad is about to happen, mm-hmm. and or if there's some sort of premonition of something bad happening. When um, Renee is killed, Patricia Arquette's first character, when she's is the redhead killed, version, when she's killed, you know, he appears. He appears after you know right when he's about to go kill mr eddie he appears when mr eddie is suspecting pete of having a sex with alice instead of you know and taking alice away from him i mean it's
0: and he says that weird quote about like an eastern philosophy you'll you'll die like you'll just ugh, what was the thing it was something really spooky about how you don't know when you're gonna die and then all of a sudden like
1: yeah they they put you into they put you in some sort of solitary area to tell you that you're gonna die but you never know when it's gonna happen until someone comes up behind you and shoots you in the head he's he is extremely they put this
0: like really pale white makeup on his face and there's one scene where he's he's in bed with Bill Pullman like he like Bill Pullman he's having sex he's having
1: sex with Renee and then his face appears on her face oh god and again if you know she's cheating on him it's like this evil bad thing is coming to your house and you know he's he's just kind of the visual or the the personification of it yeah so
0: what i never understood was and i think they tried to explain it towards the end were there two women was it alice and was it renee i
1: i you know there's a lot of things that are up for interpretation if you watch behind the scenes kind of on this movie and you in interviews with Patricia Arquette, she came into this movie thinking that she was playing two characters. And then David Lynch basically told her, no, she is the same person. Do not Mm. think of her as two people. And that's another like theme Mm. that Lynch really kind of plays with is he likes to play with time and different dimensions and different people and things like that. And it's all part of his kind of artistic kind of, voice and his palette yeah i mean there's a reason why you know he is you know you you have two groups you either have people who love him or you have people that hate him and i understand why i understand why i like it but i can understand why people don't like it i wouldn't be able to do a podcast like this if i didn't have that understanding
0: well i'll just i'll just throw the caveat out there to everybody i've never seen twin peaks and i've never seen blue velvet so this is really the only david lynch Experience? Per- experience? Experience. I've ever had start to finish. Um, I've always been interested in watching Twin Peaks from the beginning, and I, I've i been told that Blue Velvet is superior to this movie, so it would probably be the better one to watch. I'm still kind of confused why you picked this one. If word picked, on the street is that Blue Velvet's the better one.
1: I picked this one because this was the first one I had seen, mm. and this was my first experience with it, and mm. this is probably you the... you didn't turn running? No, because... <laughs> There's a lot of cool things about it. I mean, I I I mean, I made art that was similar to, like, the look and feel of this movie. I mean, it inspired me in a lot of ways. You have a in, portrait series
0: for... of Robert Blake somewhere hiding I, around here? I
1: totally <laughs> would if I had that. That would be amazing. <laughs> I would just have, like, little bits of his face, like, posted on, like, oh the, the back of a clock. So every time you look to see what time it was, he was staring at you with... One of the creepiest scenes in this movie is, Oh oh God, the the part when you first meet him at the party and he goes, we've met before. Haven't we? Bill Pullman's like, no, I don't. Why? Where do you think we've met? And he's like at your house. Don't you remember? In fact, I'm there right now. And then he hands him his, he hands Bill Pullman, his own phone. And he goes, call me, dial your number at your house. So Bill Pullman dials the number for his house. And then, the, someone picks up on the phone, and it's him, and his the only thing it says is, I told you I was here. It's it sad. was so creepy, but that is so cool. <laughs>
0: Not really that cool. It was so cool. No. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, boy. Yeah. Well...
1: I'm sorry that you that you weren't happy with your experience watching. I think
0: I thought Beastmaster was going to be the worst movie to rewatch. But no, this one, this one.
1: Well, you didn't rewatch this
0: one. This is no, your first experience. This and in was fact, my first experience. I think experience. you need to take the time
1: to rewatch this movie. No. Not in a and not in chunks on your lunch break. I think you need to sit down on your big screen TV at home oh, no. and then just kind of grab some popcorn and like think about the things that i've talked about today. Think about take it with a grain of salt. Now that you know what happens in the movie, you know when the creepy guy is going to be there. You can kind of look at it from a different perspective.
0: Okay, so the other critique i'll have, this movie falls into a category of a lot of movies that i have a problem with. It's just too long. It's 2 hours and 15 minutes, which is a too long for a movie like this. It's got it it just drifts so much. That's, I think if that's it was, intentional. I think if it was tighter, I think if it was like at maximum an hour fifty, I could sit through this a second time. But I will not watch this movie again. He,
1: David Lynch intentionally does that, and again, it's all about kind of making it's the pace that he wants. It's making there's an uncomfortable silence in between some of the some of the dialogue, and I mean the, he has gone and told actors like. Even people who like work very slowly, like do it slower, you know, stuff like that. So it's just the vibe he's creating. So,
0: I mean, even the fact that he chose of all the genres of music that Bill Pullman's character could play, he picks jazz jazz, which is famous for being, you know, hard to follow. And and in the scene in the club where they have Bill Pullman playing his saxophone, he's deliberately got this strobe light on him. So everything is just all disorienting. And I feel like, again, those are those kind of cheap shortcuts that he did. And it's just like, why? But we're fully disagreeing on this movie.
1: The soundtrack's really good. The
0: soundtrack is awesome. It opens with that David Bowie song. It's yes. got Marilyn Manson, our second our second call out to Marilyn Manson in just a few episodes here. The entire
1: the it has, "Nashville is a perfect drug." Yeah, and the entire soundtrack was produced by Trent Reznor. Yeah, that makes it amazing. Um, I'll give it that. Okay, and um, longtime uh, musical um, partner of David Lynch, Angelo Battlemente, does a lot of the in between music, mm. which is amazing. All song- songs that you'll find on our uh, mixtape playlist, <laughs> mixtape number one. These some song these songs will be added to it.
0: Yeah, that's okay. The music is good. I'll give it that much. <sighs> you need Not to the jazz. It. Not the jazz per se. but...
1: <sighs> well, I guess we. I better... mean, you
0: have to understand why people. I mean why people i mean gene siskel and robert roger eber also didn't like this movie
1: no i agree and quentin tarantino saw this movie and said that it was like david lynch had his head up his ass you know i mean people in the industry don't really like it but you know what that's fine it's all right two thumbs down whatever well i'm just i'm sorry that you didn't like it
0: it's okay i mean not every movie we're it's It's just built into this. that We're not going to always agree on movies, and that's fine. That's what makes all of us unique. It makes things interesting. So
1: I guess we should just kind of switch things up and get into the groove.
0: Yes. Let's (laughs) get into the groove. Let's talk about the other Arquette sister, Rosanna Arquette. She uh, was nominated for a Golden Globe in the movie I want to talk about, 1985's Desperately Seeking Susan. So, believe it or not, I got to see this movie in the theater. A very young little Nancy saw this in the theater. Mom can't really confirm or deny if we saw it, but I, I f- have a strong memory of seeing this. In I the did theater. not see this in the theater. So this movie features Rosanna Arquette, Aiden Quinn, Lori Metcalf, um, Will Patton as a villain, and Madonna. This movie has mystery, mistaken identity, a cat and mouse chase element mixed with a heist that took place before the movie even starts. And it's bathing in all things mid nineteen eighties New York City culture, and of course, since it's a movie, I chose there's romance in it because it's just that's that's the way it is. Madonna is my second feminist icon. Um, I have loved her ever since I saw her in the Borderline video, nineteen eighty three, when she's in that skate park or whatever that was, you know, shaking the spray paint cans with beret on. I don't know if it was a bra, but she definitely had a big bow. Like, she was amazing. Was oh, it a bow? Okay. Loved her from the minute Borderline came out. And this movie came out two years later, so I had fully been immersed in seeing her on MTV for a few years. Had the Like a Virgin album. Um, had a dub or something of her very first album that had Lucky Star and Borderline and whatnot. And I feel like this movie was absolutely written for her. There's just no question it was written for her. She plays, Madonna plays Susan, um, a super sexy, incredibly mysterious, often rude, and tough-as-nails survivor. The main character, though, is Rosanna Arquette. Yes. She plays a lady named Roberta, this really desperately lonely, bored housewife in Fort Lee, New Jersey. She reads the personals and follows like this globe trotting romance between Susan and her boyfriend Jim and Roberta discovers that Susan and Jim are going to be meeting in New York City. So she decides she's going to go where they're where she's going to see them from afar and she's going to kind of spy on them. It seems like these meetings are kind of spread out and kind of random and Jim is a musician and He didn't realize that when he set up this time to meet up with her, he was going to have to run off and go off to a gig in Buffalo, New York. So Susan's kind of like, hey, Jim, how's it going? They hang out for like five minutes and then he's off in his van with Iggy Pop's Love for Life playing in the background. I was so thrilled (laughs) when when I was paying attention to that yesterday. Anyways... You know, Susan had just met had just left behind this guy that she'd had a fling with in Atlantic City, this Egyptian earring smuggler, who had plummeted to his death um, from their hotel room. She didn't know any of that, but you know, she's this grifter and she's a real troublemaker. She uses people to get by, and of course, Roberta doesn't know any of this because all she's reading are these—I don't know—it's almost like a tweet, like 144 character. personal ads that are on that are in these like nationwide personals that somehow existed back in the 80s I don't even I can't even imagine what, like USA Today maybe like what publication would even have something like this I don't know but Roberta has followed them around for a long long time and even though she doesn't know anything about them other than these are the connections that they make she wants to be close to them she wants to be near the excitement and witness who they are. Susan is, you know, strolling around, you know, New York City, finds this amazing pair of bejeweled boots and swaps out this really iconic green and gold jacket with a pyramid on the back. And Roberta's been kind of following her like a very bad spy, (laughs) you know, like about 40 paces behind her and then she loses her. Because she goes into this store. So Roberta, kind of flustered, figures, well, I'll buy her jacket. Like, I'll actually own a piece of her. You know, she gets home, puts on the jacket. A key falls out. She then puts in a personal ad. Oh, hey, let's meet up. I'll give you the key. Arranges this whole thing. And, you know, Roberta's husband, maybe the biggest villain in this movie. Gary Glass. Gary Glass. Hot tub salesman in Fort Lee. I mean... He's he's neglectful. He's absent. He's really self centered, and he does not know anything about his wife. You know, he he's ha- cheats on her. Yeah, he's having an affair. He skips out on dinner with her all the time, giving her no notice. Um, he just he sucks. And his sister Leslie, she's not much better. I mean, I feel like they maybe came from wealth, and they're like they just have a very they have a very um, perceived way of what life should be like. And Roberta's just trying to kind of fit in there well Leslie played by Laurie Metcalf is she's amazing it's Aunt Jackie it's Aunt Jackie (laughs) she is hilarious she is such a great character and she's this total naggy pain in his ass and I remember when Roseanne came out a few years after this movie and I put together that that was the same woman I couldn't believe it because I thought she was so matronly and looked so much older and desperate I thought she was like 15 years older than she was
1: and desperately seeking well, yes. Susan?
0: Just because she's made up. So, I she's, you know, in those, in that really kind of matronly designing women kind of outfits from the 80s. It just, she didn't. She didn't look like Aunt Jackie. Take a
1: Valium like a normal person. She is the best. She is so <laughs>
0: great. So just a little more of the plot here. Um, you know, Roberta is supposed to meet Susan, but this other smuggler guy played by Will Patton, he finds her and he scares Susan. He scares Roberta. And, you know, always flustered, always fragile. You know, Roberta screams and runs and whacks her head against a pole, leading to yet another trope that haunts me amnesia she wakes up doesn't know who she is um where she is what she's doing but she's wearing this jacket and because she'd put an ad out in the paper jim saw it and jim had told his buddy des oh hey go check this out i don't know who this stranger is what's going on so he was already there to kind of help you know rescue her susan was going to meet them but she being the grifter that she is ditches out on her cab fare Gets arrested, so she can't even follow through with meeting up with Roberta. So Des kind of comes to the rescue. His life's been all turned upside down from a stupid breakup. Even his refrigerator gets stolen. It's ridiculous. It doesn't get stolen. Well, it's taken. It's he, And she's going to write him a check. I mean, what a he, bunch of bullshit.
1: Yeah, he breaks up with his his girlfriend, dumps him, and... She takes the stuff that was hers from their apartment, and it turns out it was almost everything, including the refrigerator.
0: Who takes a refrigerator? Come on. That's ridiculous.
1: I think I think one of the most iconic lines of Aiden Quinn's from this movie is, I don't believe it. <laughs> I think he says it 30 times in this movie. At least. At least 38 times. Yeah. At least 80 times. <laughs> he says, I don't
0: believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It's true, though. He doesn't believe it. And and I I don't believe it either. Roberta's able to get this suitcase that was in the Port Authority trying to, like, trigger some memories. But of course, they're not her memories because she's not Susan, but nobody knows that. She doesn't know that. So, you know, I mean, as a viewer, we're kind of watching this mistaken identity. We know what's actually going on, you know, and meanwhile. susan is able to connect with gary and gary and susan meet in a club where one of my top five favorite songs of all time get into the groove is playing i love that it's madonna song playing in the club where madonna actually is very very meta back then they start hanging out and roberta you know roberta is trying to like figure out who she is again she's under this idea that she's supposed to be this susan character and all of these all of these consequences of Susan's past bad behavior are bubbling up. You know, Des is thrown out on his ass from a restaurant. He gets, doesn't he get punched by someone else? I mean, he just, it's like the bad luck of Susan's crap is coming.
1: Rule number one, no drama. <laughs> that was rule number one with staying with Des. No drama.
0: And, and that happens right away. <laughs> um, there's, there's this magic club, which ironically is hosted by John Turturro. Which John is... Turturro, one of three actors who are also in Do the Right Thing.
1: Bet you didn't catch that onto that, did you? It could have also helped that I just recently watched Do the Right Thing.
0: I guess so, because I'm like, where is that coming from? <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, John Turturro's brother in Do the Right Thing ha- is the guy that um, opens the newspaper um, oh, okay. Thing to, okay and says hey babe take a paper and then she madonna takes out mm-hmm. all the papers that's that guy and then when uh roberta is chasing susan um down the st- kind of following her down the street she's trying to be all slick and sly she Failing pretends answerably. she pretends to like buy a hat and the mm-hmm. guy trying to sell her the hat is um
0: Carlo Esposito, yeah,
1: right? Giancarlo Carlos Esposito. Jean Carlos Esposito who from becomes Breaking, on Bad, Breaking Bad. Yeah, on exactly.
0: Bad. I only noticed that in the credits. I couldn't I was a little surprised yeah. when I saw his name I'm like, "Wait a minute, where was he?" I was like, "Why why are all these people from do the right thing in this?" <laughs> <laughs> um so while while Roberta's doing this magic club bit, um, the smuggler guy who's still, you know, hot on her heels sees her there, chases her down an alley she bumps her head again, and voila, she's got her memory back. Ooh, now she knows she's Roberta again. Well, she also gets arrested, because they think that that guy was her pimp, and that she was a prostitute. So, so, knowing who she is now, and remembering her phone number, and you know, back in the day, when all of us remembered phone numbers, because we didn't have them programmed into a cell phone, we had to actually like physically either push the buttons on a phone, or like actually even shove our fingers in a little hole, mm-hmm. and you know, spin the whole dial around. Back in the day, Um, she calls you didn't have to like crank it,
1: crank it and then ask the (laughs) operator to dial it. I mean, we're not. I mean, we're we're almost that old, right? Not, no, not quite. <laughs> but you know, she
0: calls. She calls her. She calls her house because again, she remembers her home phone number. And freaking Gary is high off his ass with Susan. So she freaks out. Like, I mean, obviously, Roberta had been super unhappy. She knew she was unhappy. It's not like she forgot the memories that she was building as fake Susan. And then I'm so I'm sure that she was realizing how horrible her life was trapped in Fort Lee. And then on top of all that, her husband clearly doesn't miss her because he's laughing his ass off. Yeah, but he's laughing
1: his ass off because he's high hanging out with Susan. I know. I I know.
0: (laughs) But, you know, so she ends up going back to Des and all that stuff. But Madonna as Susan really gets to like enter roberta's world and she spells everything out so clearly to gary like dude you don't know anything about your wife she keeps this journal that is all about susan it's not about roberta unless it's just logging her super boring mundane trivial routines at hounds like at the house like oh i couldn't sleep i came downstairs i was eating cake gary came in and turned on light then he left and he turned off the light I mean, Susan sees that Roberta is searching for something really big or just something different, something exciting. And Gary is a thousand percent clueless. So Susan places another ad in the personals, gets the entire cast together at the magic club. Everyone kind of has to face off with each other. And Susan and Roberta finally get to meet face to face. The evil smuggler gets, you know, a bottle crashed on his head. He gets arrested. The earrings are sent back to where they're supposed to be. Gary is sent packing, Susan and Jim reunite, and by the end of the movie, Roberta and Des hook up, maybe for good, Who, one can only hope, you know me, I'm the romantic in the group. So anyways, I feel like this movie is such the showcase for Madonna. Rosanna Arquette's really great too. It's a very interesting case study of what amnesia could be like to someone. And it's also just such an interesting piece of like, this is what the mid 80s was like i mean if you're a kid that grew up watching mtv you kind of got a glimpse of what new york could be like i mean we grew up in california so new york felt very far away from us and the whole urban quality of it was just so interesting but i love this movie again i was gonna watch madonna and anything she did and that it was this movie i thought was spectacular my favorite madonna movie
1: um definitely i would say so it's you know i watch this movie repeatedly when you would watch it at home and it and i can't really say too much bad about it other than good then that it's super cheesy and um that i really wish i had gary glass's um snack table because in the scene (laughs) In the scene where he and Madonna are getting high, they're like sitting, they're like both laying on the couch, like like head to head with their feet on yeah. the opposite ends, and then he has this this coffee table where in the middle of it are like little like <laughs> sections for different snacks, and I swear to God, one of them is full with Reese's pieces, and I'm just like, why don't I have a snack table full of Reese's pieces? <laughs> oh my god. Um other, another car- guy that's in this movie is um, comedian Stephen Wright who He's plays, excellent he plays Gary's dentist and um, I remember that was the first time I had seen Stephen Wright before his comedy and He's um, hilarious. Uh, he was great in that I don't he has a joke that he does in his stand-up that I I would now that i have a microphone i'm like oh my god can i actually like do that joke by
0: all means so if you were in the magic club you would be doing it yeah for sure
1: here we, we can get this right okay this is my impression of bowling <laughs> gutter <laughs> 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 A, that's a, that's the kind of jokes he's, that Stephen Wright would do. He's
0: so dry. He's so, so dry. Like Everything he says and delivers is so monotone, but it's very hilarious. Another um, kind of
1: random thing is, um, as I was watching this and looking up stuff about it and everything, um, Bruce, the guy that has no lines, that is in bed with Susan at the beginning of the movie, that the she smuggler steals, that, that, that she dies. steals the or she mistakenly takes the earrings from is Richard hell from the band television from the New York band television, who was had some f- punk rock fame in the seventies in the and eighties. The so there was a, there was that, I mean, other than that, um, uh, one correction I'll give you. It wasn't a suitcase that she got out of the, uh, locker, that's actually a case that you hold drums in oh, that she like stole a... from Jim <laughs> and used it as a suitcase because no he was it a... wasn't latching. correctly. That's why it wouldn't latch. Correctly. And that, but it's also, it had the same skull pattern on it that okay. their van did. I thought it was just some cool
0: skull cu- suitcase, but no. Okay. That makes a lot no, more it's sense.
1: no dr- It's a drum case and that would actually hold a lot of stuff. And she basically held her whole life.
0: Pretty much. Her... I mean, it was, I mean, thinking back and watching it, it's like, she's basically just a homeless person. Oh,
1: she's a, she's a, she, she's a grifter. She's a grifter. She's a, I don't know, is vagabond a word? Can
0: I use the word vagabond just yeah. throw out the word vagabond? Maybe. Okay. Um, I, one, one other fun thing that I just recently learned about this movie, and it's just almost an accident that this, that I realized this not long ago, the scene toward in the last act of the movie, when she, when she goes to put the personal ad in, she's, Basically wearing a pair of boxer shorts, some stockings that are connected, and um, one of Gary's um, white t-shirts. She walks into the building, and the three identical that were in that documentary that came out recently, that's those guys. Oh, wow. So the three identical strangers who found each other. What's that documentary called? Three identical strangers. Three
1: identical strangers?
0: Yes. They had discovered each other within maybe five to six years before this movie came out. Mm. And they had been, you know, they they were on Phil Donahue. They were all over the place. But to see that the three of them are all kind of standing lined up together. I mean, I never noticed that they looked exactly the same (laughs) until watching that documentary and then rewatching this. Like, oh, my God, these three guys, they really are identical. So... And they're all giving her the exact same look. They're all like, "Mm, hey, baby. I
1: I wanted to bring up a couple things, um, not necessarily specifically about this movie, but how this movie kind of works with my movie. Is, you know, you kind of have two people playing the same person. Exactly. A lot like my movie. Well, I thought that. You have like this kind of two mistaken identity. Different people playing the same person kind of thing that happens in both these movies there's kind of a murder mystery in mm-hmm. both of these movies i mean i think these movies are a lot more connected than you think i think that you really kind of got to just you know sigh and roll your eyes as much as you want there there's they're connected
0: <laughs> well i mean the sis the real life sisters starred one in patricia and one and rosanna and the other but yeah. No, the, the whole idea of them both being called Susan for a majority of the film.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's very, I mean, what would a David Lynch version of this movie look like? Oh, my God. Come on. It'd be amazing. You know you'd watch it. You did say if Madonna was in a movie, you would watch it. What if she was in a David Lynch movie? Oh, my God. The size. The size oh I'm getting God. are just. So... <laughs> I I I just don't
0: know. <laughs> I I just don't know, Matt. But but no, I mean I this I watched this movie a lot. I this movie, yeah. again I Madonna was on MTV all the time, and I just I loved her so much. And I again I don't think I don't think anyone else could have played this role but her. I think that this movie also kind of like was the peak of like the style
1: she was kind of using mm-hmm. at that point. Cause yeah. she kind of disappeared after this movie.
0: And like when she, there was no disappearing. She just began the long consistent evolution. She changed her look every other year. She went on to then do true blue where she cut off her hair. She dyed at platinum blonde. Papa don't preach. That was what came after this. Well, live to tell. And then Papa don't preach in True Blue, but yeah, but she had but kind she... of
1: stopped the whole like underwear as outerwear kind of <laughs> kind of you know. you know, and the, the, ru- the rubber r- bracelets did, went did, away. Did, did did the underwear as outerwear kind of leave and come back? Well, ever it did. It,
0: no, for her it did because remember in um, Express Yourself with her cone bras, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. We don't need to have a long, long discussion about Madonna's, <laughs> um, fashion, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, this, this did kind of, this was the peak of her have, you know, having that style for sure. I mean, cause she had already done the performance of like a virgin in the wedding out in the wedding dress oh, wow. on the MTV movie awards where yeah. she rolled around on the floor, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, so this, so I'm glad that we agree that this was not a horrible movie, and you you can you can understand growing up with me because you always knew how much I love Madonna. Oh Why, yeah. I mean this should oh. not have been any shock to you whatsoever that I put this on our list. Absolutely not. I mean, I think the next movie
1: that she did that was kind of a bigger movie. She did a movie with Sean Penn, where um, they're in like Asia or something like that. I don't even remember the name of it. Um, it's not that great. Um, but I think it's where they met Or or they met beforehand And is then it, decided to make the movie together One Shanghai of the two Shanghai Sun Shanghai Surprise Something like that Something like that But it's definitely better than Who's that girl Which is Oh who's that girl was fun Oh it's so corny It's oh super my corny God. But it's fun It's like It's like a really terrible 80s comedy But Yeah it's not even that funny <laughs> um, But You'll
0: take care of me Won't you Bucky <laughs> Of course I will I am very muscular <laughs>
1: But uh, Griffin Dunn, he's he's pretty good in it. Um, yeah, I mean, you you loved Madonna, and you still love Madonna. I think that you know she will never go too wrong in your eyes. Is that well, is that safe to I say? I mean, I haven't
0: followed her as much like the last ten years, but I mean, she uh, uh, she really helped shape my childhood. Well, you like know, I said, first she... it was Stephanie Zanoni as the very first fem, fi, feminist icon, and then Madonna.
1: I mean, she's and you know, there's a reason why she, people still t- you know could talk about her today. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's been very influential. I mean, do you have Lady Gaga without Madonna? Probably not. No. Do you have, you know, any of the pop sensations from the '90s or the 2000s without Madonna breaking tons of ground? Probably not. I no. Mean,
0: and and she she was very she she was very controversial. She liked to she liked to push buttons and she didn't care.
1: No, she didn't. I mean, Susan is. I think the thing about her character, Susan, is it's almost like she probably didn't even have to act for. In that's, some ways, that probably yeah. is a lot how she, how we would think she is in real life yeah. at that age and Especially time. Especially
0: the survivor element, I feel, or like. at
1: least that's how you know the character that you know she created for herself, her pop culture character. Mm-hmm. You know, was always seen. So the persona, the that persona we got to see. that is just kind of what was there. Yeah. And I mean, I think "Into the Groove" is probably one of my favorite Madonna songs. I mean, I'm not a huge Madonna fan, but I lived with you. I had to hear it all the time. Yes, you did. It kind of burned into my brain. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe me making you watch "Lost Highway" and roll your eyes was payback for all the times you made me listen to Madonna. I mean, at least Madonna was, I guess, n- nice to look at. I guess I kind of win there.
0: No, hey, whatever. However that works for you.
1: <laughs> you got to look at Bill Pullman and Balthazar Getty. There oh you go. Oh, my God, Bill Pullman was so ridiculous. Where did, you know what? I, I was thinking about I was like, his career like, kind of stopped at that movie. I don't no, it didn't. He, what did he do he's, after that he's movie? He's done plenty. <laughs> well, I guess. <laughs> Should I wrap this up? Yes. Okay. Well, I want to thank all of our listeners. I want to thank all of you for, um, taking the time to listen to us blab about movies that we like. Um, I still highly recommend people try and watch lost highway and, you know, if anything, you know, give it a try, please. And then when you're done watching it, turn on desperately seeking Susan, because it'll make you feel better. It's, decent Yeah. <laughs> no that's pretty good also um i want to remind everyone if you didn't check out our last podcast that we have um, started a mixtape on or playlist however you'd like to whatever your generation prefers um on that is available on spotify and apple music just search for the fighting over the vcr mixtape and that playlist should come up It features songs from um, all the movies that we've, most of the movies that we reviewed, not all of them yet. And we'll be adding some uh, songs from the two movies we reviewed tonight. Also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Uh, We're out there. You can go to our website, www.fightingoverthevcr.com and see all of our episodes there or see us on Podbean or YouTube or any of those places where you can possibly listen to us. And hopefully at some point, Someone out there will show any of those things I just mentioned—the social media, the website, any of those things—to John and/or Joan Cusack to possibly get them <laughs> as guests on our podcast. Uh, we're a brother and sister who don't always get along. Maybe they don't get along sometimes and need Maybe to talk about it.
0: They both hated Lost Highway.
1: Maybe they both loved
0: Lost Highway. I don't think that's Maybe possible.
1: Maybe one of them loved it and one of them hated it, and want they need to hash it out on our podcast.
0: The mics are open.
1: Anytime they want to call us, we're here to we're here to help. We're here to listen to their grievances about <laughs> possibly lost highway. Or maybe they have grievances about desperately seeking Susan.
0: Impossible.
1: Uh, I mean, it could. who knows? You don't know that. <laughs> I stress to you that you do not know that. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much. And we're out.